Phil's got to move the teacher's bike to where you because you're from school to sew it came from uh, a, a few friends having really bad international custody battles, um, and uh, from being a young mother in oh my god that flat is like my flat I was in that flat <laughs> in North Gardner Street it's three bedroom place it's like exactly the same hey sirs and I and I had you know a baby I was completely on my own and see Jenna kind of walking up those stairs with the buggy and all of the stuff that she's doing in winter in Glasgow, which even from when you're coming from London can be quite kind of frightening, actually quite different and hard to get used to. Just watching all of that, I thought that's exactly what I was getting at. And, and mainly, actually, it's the relationship with her and Alistair. I think that the fact that, you know, relationships that start from affairs don't usually last. 90% of them fail. What you know about each other is that you're good liars. You know, so there's that tension of what their relationship is like. And therefore, how they're going to re um, respond to a, a crisis. Yeah. This isn't talked about 
a lot. That, that this is sort of not something that we're used to seeing on our screen. And apart from that, it was just a fantastic cookie thriller. And um, I loved the fact that it was set in Scotland and Australia. It was big and it was bold and it dared to sort of think um, beyond just telling us a small story. It was telling a very, very big story, a very personal story, a very intimate story. Um, one that spoke to me personally and, and one that I was really sure would speak to a mainstream BBC One audience for the same reasons, but it was telling that story on a very big canvas, on a very big scale, in an international way, with characters that I think I felt really sure an audience would relate to instantly. Um, so it took, it, that was, that was 2012, mm. coming <coughs> back from returning to me was, uh, I mean it was 2012. So it's been a while in the making. <laughs> yeah, it's been yeah. a while, 2012, yeah. 2013. So, um, yeah, we were just, just determined in the years that followed actually get it moving. I suppose um, coming to, to Glendon, we have an Australian director here with us tonight. We have a drama that is part set in Glasgow, part set in Australia. Before I come to you, Glendon, was it important that we had an Australian director involved in this? I, I think it was important that we had the right director and we looked far and wide and, and it, it sometimes it's just a feeling that you get isn't well, it it's just a sort of yeah and and claire went off to australia i mean but but we did want we we were really interested we were really we're we looked, feelings we looked at lots of directors in the uk and australia we looked at lots of directors we looked at uh but off uh, claire went to vecchi in australia well what happened yeah it, we wanted to get. Please end the room. Nobody else would do it. They are quite resilient. It's just here. Well, we wanted to get the maximum contrast between the very, very intense kind of red heat of Australia, of Melbourne, and you know the cooler tones of, of Glasgow. And we realised that actually the only way to do that was we had to shoot Australia first. So rather than you know shooting Glasgow in, in an environment that we knew, we thought, well, we're just going to have to go there now. And so pretty soon after we got the commission, we went <coughs> on a recce, myself and Brian Kaczynski, the producer. We went to Adelaide in South Australia, and then we went to Victoria and Melbourne, which is where Helen's from, and it's where the book had always been. It was where the book was conceived to be set. And, um, and as we realised that strategically we needed to shoot in... Melbourne first, this was in January, um, or prepping in January, we decided, well, we might as well go and meet some directors while we're out there, and we might, we should look at some work, and we should get to know some people, and the screenwriter, Jacqueline Persky, was a wonderful, absolutely wonderful A-list writer, um, who would have loved to have been here, because Glasgow is now her adopted home, she's been here about eight times over the last four years. Um, she had mentioned Glendon because they had worked together on various things and we had a couple of other, not very many, but like three or four other directors to meet. So, <laughs> so we, did the, you know, we did the rounds and we watched the work and, and um, but Glendon had, uh, the previous show that he directed before this one was called Safe Harbour and uh, you haven't seen it yet but you will because it's been sold to Hulu and it's and it might appear on BBC Four very soon. It's an incredible piece of work. And um, as soon as we saw Safe Harbour, 
we're like, we want that guy, and we want the lead star, and we want the DP, and we got three for the price of one. We got this phone call from Cleo and Strayers, and it was, we think, we, we think we've met the one. And <laughs> 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 we're going to send you a link. I mean, and Safe Harbor was incredible. Yeah. But, but also, I mean, because we were shooting in Melbourne first, we were shooting with Australian crews who, you know, production is the same wherever you go, but actually there are specif specificities to the world and the, the talent and the working conditions that it just, we realised given the time scale we had, because we had pretty much bang on a year to deliver it from commission, that we needed someone on the ground who, who knew that world. So. Enter Glendon. <laughs> um, Glendon, I think, did, Claire, did you just refer to it as the cool of tones of Glasgow, was it? <laughs> <laughs> yes. How are those cool of tones of Glasgow for you? I think it's really cool. <laughs> um, yeah, I'd never been to Glasgow before, um, and I think very soon after we met in Melbourne, I, I was here, like two weeks after, and, you know, it's that first impressions thing, probably for the same when you guys came to Australia, like, you really, you, you take it all in, and... Um, I mean, I've been to the UK, but I hadn't been to Glasgow, and I just really fell in love with it. I like the like the apartments; they're kind of really they're really odd to us. Like we don't have things. They're like amazing, that. yeah. I can't yeah. believe them. Tenement, <laughs> tenement, yeah. It's like that's a flat. That's not what we yeah. see. Yeah. Um, and and you know, I mean, even having seasons or it being cold and wet all the time, and like they're things that <laughs> to us in we Australia, like to me in Australia, like, they're kind of really like they're beautiful and they're, they're things that should be embraced. Yeah, and even you know the color of the lights and stuff here, like it's just really different. So and it's and it's a it's sort of a, I don't know, it has a it's 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 the Europe it's kind of Europe the European look and feel and the tone that I've fallen in love with in watching cinema from this part of the world. So it was sort of great to be given the opportunity to come and tell a really great story in in in. This, with this canvas. Yes. Especially when we told him he's getting to work with Kate Dickey. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Big well, fun? Well, I don't often get starstruck, but I still find Kate Dickey hard yeah. to be in the same room with. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I was going to ask you about uh, how you managed to get the performance out of Gina, but I should probably ask you what's your, your, your starstruck at this? How did you never, manage to do that? I've never even made eye contact with Kate Dickey. So <laughs> 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 um, but, uh, well, Jenna, I mean, and, and this is, you know, I'd love to talk about what happens in Eps 2, 3, and 4, but we can't, like, because there's, there's, it's like the, the story changes in each episode and there's a, there's a lot that, I, that we don't want to say. But um, when Jenna was mentioned, um, you know, I mean, we're all, we're all kind of like, there's something really great about Jenna. There's nothing, I mean, I think this is okay to say. There's, like, if you look at her work in Doctor Who and her work in Victoria, like it's really cool and it's a certain kind of thing, but it's not it's not this and, and definitely where the story goes. Um, there was there was a huge uh, there's there's a huge leap of faith when you when you get a, a someone like Jenna. But I remember um, having a Skype call with her very early on and I could tell by the tone in her voice, even through Skype, that she knew what she was taking on. And it felt very um, I don't know how to describe it. Like she just, she. I remember she saying, like, cause she'd read maybe all of the scripts at that point, even if some of them were kind of drafts. I remember her saying, like, it's pretty raw, isn't it? Like it's raw. And I said, yeah, it's it. It one is raw, and it gets a lot rawer. <laughs> and she was buying into it, and there was just this really great. From that point, there was a level of trust. I think that you know, if 
if she was going to go there, I would go there, and we would we would help each other with the support of the rest of the cast and crew. And and like Jenna is astounding in this show. Like I've never never witnessed anything like it, and I've I've directed some pretty difficult stuff. So um, I can't wait for for like the world or for the UK in particular to see Jenna Coleman in what she does in the next four hours. I think one of the uh, the, the, the the most remarkable. I mean, I, I watched it. I'm, I'm pretty late to this gig, folks. I'm Some, someone else is supposed to be sitting there. <laughs> sick, and that's why I'm here. And that, apologies, by the way, for Glendon and I sat speaking about his marvelous first name outside, and we didn't quite get around to the pronunciation of his second one. So my apologies, probably for that. Um, I watched it literally about half an hour before turning up here, and then sat through it again. And the tension <coughs> is, it sits with you. It very definitely does, and especially that scene in the plane. Especially the scene where the baby won't stop crying, the scenes where the baby won't stop crying, and you can see the exhaustion. And you, you, I, I think, especially tonight here in this room, it almost felt like you were on the plane. Mm-hmm. Um, did, 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 did tell, cut us in if you can. Uh, everyone would, I'm sure, you know, anyone who could figure out how you, you, you magic a baby to sleep would be a millionaire. But how do you get a baby to cry on demand? <laughs> well. Well, you can't. You can't make a baby cry on demand. Um, but luckily, we found... Um, <laughs> Not without it being illegal. <laughs> well, you, no, well, yeah, well, that was just something that we... Like, on the page, you read it, and you kind of... You know, you keep pushing it to the back of your mind. Like, I guess it'll, we'll work something out, we'll work something out. But we found we found some twins. Uh, and and there's, there's, a, there's quite a few babies through the, through the season. But generally, Noah, who was called... Noah in the show, real life is called Noah, and he was, uh, well he still is, <laughs> he's, he's a baby who, who just cried a lot, like he just, and his mother was um, a mother of six, so the idea of bringing a couple of newborn twins of three or four weeks, I think when we met them, um, onto set wasn't, you know, it was like a really strange thing for her, but it wasn't a big deal, and we, you could, you could hear we would just, you know, we would be shooting other things, but we'd always have an ear in uh, the next room so you could hear when Noah was getting upset or, you know, wanted to feed or, um, wanted, you know, was getting grisly about having a sleep or something, and we would just bring him in. And no one works faster than a crew uh, with a crying baby on set. <laughs> so, for example, that, the, you know, that scene where Alistair comes home and you can hear the baby crying and you walk in and... Um, the uh, Noah's crying in the middle of the room, like it's if it, you know, it feels like he's crying for a really long time, and it you know, like as we know, like a baby crying for ten seconds can feel like half an hour, but it's it was very quick, and and even uh, like that was how it was written on the page, like mm. Alistair walks in and 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 Noah's crying all by himself, and each take, and there's you know literally one or two takes of any of that stuff, we would be looking at the mum with our jaws a drop, going like I can't believe. Like it's written here and it's just happened. Like it was kind of, it's sort of, it's, it's difficult, like but kind of, but kind of, that's how it happened. It's very simple. You right. looked at the rushes of that sequence and actually from from action to uh, to, to Noah crying, it's about five and a half seconds or something. Yeah. It was a real military operation. But but also Noah that you see on screen, <clears throat> I mean he was quite a late addition to the cast because literally the week before we had two different babies. <laughs> who were also twins, um, and um, this was the week before we were about to film, and the, um, <coughs> the second DD sent 
photos of, of the babies and we were taking them in their costume and whatever. <laughs> Glendon looked at them. I think they came into we just oh, they came into the office yeah. and they were they had grown and they were just like, <laughs> they were like giant babies. And you said we can't use these babies. <laughs> we, we need new babies and we need them tonight. I found two two and sets of newborn twins in Glasgow. You went to Kilmarnock with Brian and you came Gainer and Oslo Square, this is, am I right in saying that this is the first network drama commission to come out of Scotland? No, it's the first network drama commission, we think, <laughs> made by a wholly owned, wholly owned Scottish company. There's been other network dramas commissioned through Scotland and made in yeah. Scotland, um, but this is the first one that's commissioned through Scotland, made in Scotland, and made by a wholly owned Scottish company. I was very surprised to hear that, um, and I suppose the significance of that, I suppose that starts here, what is the significance of this? It's, it's massive. For, for us at the BBC because it's it's the sort of it's 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 the holy grail is to be making drama here. I mean we know that we have amazingly talented crews, we know that we're able to make network drama um, that really stands up and, and is around the world. But to make to, to sort of own I don't own anything, but to, for, for companies in Scotland to own the IP to drive the sort of creativity of the piece to lift the heartbeat of the um, piece to be really sort of based here is really important. I think that's it's just it, for me. It's just a just a fundamentally huge part of a really successful, thriving, sustainable industry. And so, for this piece to be written by a Scottish-based novelist and produced by Scottish-based companies, just is massive. It's hugely important. And for synchronicity, Claire, the significance yeah. of it? Uh, <coughs> uh, well, it's, it's huge for us because uh, it's been a long road, as many people in this audience know. Um, I, yeah, I mean, I think I've got a real passion to prove that uh, talent's not about um, geography, it's about opportunity and taking opportunity. And I think that we are capable in Scotland of delivering incredible material i think um but it's a two-way street you know like no one deserves to be commissioned for any other reason than the material is the best it can possibly be so um yeah i mean i've stuck in for the long haul if you ask my mom she'll tell you the number of conversations we had about when is that cry thing happening <laughs> <laughs> and it did take quite a while but uh, I think is she here tonight she is she's up there no, yeah. you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I produce feature films and television drama, and I love the feature side of things, but in terms of a sustainable business that can employ people, give people opportunities, and um, you know, do more of the same, like network high-end TV drama is the way to go. And, and we're experiencing a global boom in television drama right now. There's absolutely no reason why uh, that cannot happen for creatives and companies Based here, the significant thing is is where the IP is owned because obviously we're a Scottish-owned company. We're making a, a piece which was written by Helen, you know, in Glasgow. But it always what it always said to me was, 
a way to tell a, a story that had a Scottish um, USP to it, but that it was an international story. It wasn't a domestic story. It was something that audiences around the world would watch. And, and in watching it, because it was an international and universal piece, they would still be brought back to Scotland and Glasgow in some way. And um, so it's, it's, a, it's a huge deal for us. And we, um, we, we want to do more of the same, I think. I think. And I think lots of other people in our position can do the same. I suppose it's, it's, we're, we're all suckers, I suppose, in, in, in Scotland and in Glasgow for, for hearing how people from out with Scotland and Glasgow see, you know, a tenement, for example, or, or the quality of light. Um, to what extent, Helen, is, because you, you, are, you have been here for, for, for a long time, but to what extent is that kind of uh, that character of, of Scotland and Glasgow important in your, in your writing when you're approaching something like this? Well, not usually. So this is the first. Uh, this is the first book where I thought about that, and I think that's why it was one that worked. <laughs> so um, yeah, no, I really feel like so. There's a scene on this where the plane lands. I think, or, or is it when she calls when Alex calls her on the phone, and and the light change is so perfect. Like mm. it was like because I used to go home. I've lived here for twenty seven years. I fell in love. We decided to stay here. And the sort of proviso was that we went back to Australia every summer. So we would book every February to go back to Australia because it's hot there and when you're in the cold of Scotland, you think that hot's a good thing, right? <laughs> we would go to February in Australia and it would be awful, absolutely horrendously hot. You couldn't really do anything. You'd be much more comfortable staying in Scotland. And so actually that sort of... And, and I know that families like this are doing that all over the place, you know, desperately trying to you know, sort of do their custody things and meet their families and stuff in the, in the warm time. And actually, it's really uncomfortable. But the light and everything that you did, with, it was just so magnificent. It's like, it's like the difference between the two countries, the feeling of it, the feeling of jet lag, the kind of feeling of being not in... When, you, when you've gone from one world to another, 12,000 miles to, you know, mm. nine hours, 12 hours or whatever it is, Neither place is real for at least a week. You're in this kind so actually this whole piece feels to me like a horror film in which you're in a jet lagged mind you and nothing surely can't can be real because it's so horrible. Yeah. When we, we when we offered um, the, the the show to Glendon, <coughs> you came over like literally about ten days later with uh, Sam Chiplin, who's the director of photography, and um, <laughs> it was. November and we walked around the West End in the cold and the rain and we stood under sodium lights for about 40 minutes just to say, oh, this is beautiful. I was like, yeah, hurry up, because But anyway, it really was, you know, and obviously we were out there for a long period of time filming and I don't think, I had been to Australia before, but I hadn't appreciated just how close the connection is between Scots and Australians. Mm -hmm. We we call this Scozy Noir. It's a new genre. Scozy Noir. Scozy Noir. This is Scots Australian Tartan. Yeah. What we're saying about social media, feel free to blast that all over social media. But you know, really, like, and obviously, it's you know, I think sometimes people, if you don't know the background to this, you might look at this and think, oh, this is a contrived international production. It's really not. She, Helen has lived in Clarkson for twenty seven years. You're from Australia. The whole. That whole journey on the plane, and I'd be so surprised in this. You know, if you don't all, you know, have experiences that in some way. Yeah. You know, yeah. And I think when we went over there, like literally, like we lived in St Kilda, we filmed in St Andrews Beach. There was a place up the road called 
Strathblane or something, you know, like every second person we met was from Glasgow. Trying to get away from that. Just as much of a passport to be fair. Were there any logistical issues? And you know, because you are covering such an enormous distance, and and you you, you have to tie these two things together. Can you cut us in on any of that? Well, going uh, making Australia three times in one month was quite a challenge. Just the journey alone and the number of Skype calls we had where <clears throat> when when in the UK, when it's the right time to talk in the UK, it's the wrong time in Australia and vice versa. We had lots of late night uh, calls with the BBC script calls and director calls. It was quite stressful in that respect. There was a point where it actually worked in our favour because we'd have a late night call about scripts. And then Liz and I would merely, Liz the um, co-exec from BBC and I would merely go off to sleep. We'd wake up in the morning with a new script in our inbox. <laughs> 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 so they'd be working all night long or else you would deliver us a script and you'd go off to bed and we'd read it and send some notes and we'd all talk about it in the morning. And so um, there was a point that it was quite useful. Uh, last couple of questions, I think, because we're going to throw the floor, uh, or throw to the floor in a second for, for your questions. Um, Glendon, was, was there an issue, uh, or was, was there a consideration on your part that, you know, what we've certainly seen in the first episode at any rate is, is, a, is a, it's a, it's a female perspective and it is very much a, a reality, you know, the husband's got his earplugs in, he's sleeping all the way to Australia, uh, you know, did, 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 what was your consideration in approaching that? Um... Well, you know, I've got a, I've, I've got a, a wife. I'm a, I'm a husband, and, and it's weird. Like a lot of, and a dad, my, my son and my daughter sitting with us, and um, it's like I, you know, I've got a, my wife's a doula. Like she's, she's been a birth attendant, and and is very active in the, in the lives of new women, or sorry, of new mothers, and. There was like so all of this stuff when I was reading it was very familiar. It wasn't like oh what people have trouble having babies. Like <laughs> it was just you know it was kind of very it was a common common language in our house, and I was really interested in it. Like I was I was interested in it from from a you know from a from a male talking about how men deal with this situation and I mean whether we like it or not like I, I would we've all been in that situation where a woman is where the where the mother a new mother is at home. And you've just got to go to work. Like you just can't not do it because you've got to earn a living. And these and it's th those roles really split. And whether you like it or not, it, it they they split. Um, but for me personally, the idea of exploring um, a woman's perspective in that situation, I really enjoyed it. Like to be able to put my head into it and be surrounded by really awesome women. And Jack, who's a mum, the the writer. It was it just it was a familiar language. It wasn't like I was trying to get my head around it or anything like that. It was it was I guess it was as odd for me as it would be for Jenna because she's not a mum. Like it was it, it, it's it was something I really wanted to explore. Yeah. And as the episodes go on, <clears throat> it comes about what's more besides. Yeah, <laughs> so it's not just the woman. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> Um, <laughs> Helen, uh, as the episode's going, uh, uh, to to, uh, I, I assume you were in the room <coughs> when when you know when when cameras were rolling and uh, uh, no, when, no, no 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 but I didn't want to be I, I'd written the book I'd just written the book I was working as a social worker and 
and Claire was very, do you want to be involved? And I said no. Uh, I'd, tried, I'd written screenplays before, so I knew the, what the process was, and I knew I wasn't up for it at that stage. I'd just been in Joanna's head for a year, can you imagine? And I just really didn't want to be in her head anymore. <laughs> so I had dinner with Jacqueline, and it was great because we talked about what she liked about it and what I liked about it, and I felt completely comfortable and trusted her completely and just we kind of shook hands over dinner, right, over to you. I'm going to stay out of it. So, uh, you know, so it's been amazing for me to see what's come out of it, and I'm really glad that I just left her to that process because it's just so perfect. I love it. <laughs> Great, okay. Um, I think we've got maybe 10 minutes. Do we? Thanks very much, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> uh, there must be one question from the floor. There we go. Um, it cuts around a lot in, in that, back and forth, and, and that, like, that could be very complicated. I thought it was brilliant, and I didn't feel complicated, or I didn't feel confused. But I was just interested in how, I haven't read the book, but like yeah. how you set around that, because it moves all the time, you're here, you're, you're there. Mm. How hard was that to, to make it feel coherent without you know, losing the drama that you kind of create by doing that? Well, probably the, the nicest thing you said is that it looks effortless. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's actually, it's not. It was incredibly hard. And um, Alistair Reed is sitting there behind, in there shrinking right now, as the editor did an amazing job. Mm. Um, the, the script was actually written a lot more non-linear than what this was. It was um, really, like, you know, in hindsight, very, like, uh, yep. totally mixed up, way more mixed up than what it is. Uh, and part of the process, and it worked on the page, like, definitely was, was strong on the page, but definitely when, it, uh, when, it, when you shoot things and when, when it goes back to being on screen, um, things read differently. And we had to find... Uh, almost create false chronology, cro chronology, 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 chronology. Um, to to so so when you're when you're in that linear state when you're telling a story when you do throw somewhere else you do it safely uh, and you know where you are when you come back and vice versa so um, if it the, uh, the best possible thing you can say is it looked effortless because it was anything but 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 it is with reason it, but it with always with the intent of it looking effortless like you shouldn't be confused intrigue is good confusion is not and that's what that was our goal yeah. i think because it's a thriller as well <clears throat> you know we are very deliberately showing you certain parts of the story in a certain order at a certain time and as the episodes go on we revisit certain scenes you'll see them a different way um but it the, in, the inspiration to do that in the script came directly from the book because the book is so brilliant in its non-linear structure and um, <clears throat> and, and the character of Joanna you know, she goes on a huge emotional arc and so the best way to convey the um, contrast of that was to be able to see this woman who you know starts off as a sort of happy-go-lucky kind of person who then we see in court and, and we see different as she says, different faces of her. So we, that really came from, from the original material, and we, yeah, there, there is a much more radical, non, really, really, really non-linear version, but as we got into telling the story, the most important thing was to work out what the order of those scenes would be, but there's basically three or four time zones at any one time. But there's also scenes that are scripted were in one episode and then ended up in a different episode, and, um, I mean, Liz and I only knew half of it because 
Alistair and Brendan and Claire. Right? They, they were carrying in their heads all four episodes at one time. And it's really hard because you've got to sort of, you've got a, a schedule to stitch, you've got to lock them in sequence, but they were trying to think about the next episode, the next episode, and well, if we move this from here to here, um, does that address the, the, the thing that we're all searching for? And then what does that do? What kind of hold does that leave further down the line? And so it was really complicated from that point of view. The amount of story that you had to hold in your head at one time, you couldn't, you couldn't really think about it sequentially. You had to think about the totality of it all the time, I think. <laughs> Any other questions? One more question, I've been told by the BAFTA High Agents. <laughs> no more questions. Okay, one more from me then, Glendon. Can you tell us a little bit about what's coming up? The next three episodes, without any, without, of course, giving anything away. Give us some teasers. No. <laughs> okay. A lot. That's actually lot. one of the questions I've had. <laughs> it, I mean, that's it is. It's been part of. It's it's the. I mean, it's the problem in in talking about the show, in about uh, writing a synopsis, in about how you market it, in about um, how you structure the first episode. Like, what's the first episode about? Not much, really. Like, a couple go shopping. I don't know. Like, it's sort of. There's not. It's it's so hard to try and sustain tension without releasing, uh, you know, the, the things that are actually happening. Um, but we, we actually were almost finished cutting the last episode today and we're still going back and looking at, well, actually Claire said today, so like every single shot in this show has some sort of meaning. And if you, and the only way I can describe it is that by the time you get to the end of the second episode, you can almost start re-watching episode one and you start seeing not only very different performances but a, a very different story unfolding and you see the subtlety in, in, in looks in how someone's standing how, how they're breathing whatever like it's yeah it's in, it's a very hard thing to talk about other than you know I'd, I'd love to be sitting here after episode four and having a, the same conversation I actually found that I haven't watched the first episode twice in such quick succession I actually found that I had a little bit more insight into this and get the second time round just from what you see, that's just from watching the same thing twice, so I can definitely see how that would be the case with a bit more information in episode two and beyond. Uh, folks, <laughs> thanks, thanks very much. Um, and yeah, thank you to Gail, to Claire, to Glenn, and to Claire.